Good morning. <clears throat> it is so good to see you here today and welcome. We're glad that you've joined us for worship today. I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, and I hope you have your copy of God's Word. And uh, the Bible's important in the life and fellowship of our church, as it should, I think, in every church. And uh, we want to look at Scripture together today, and so I invite you to open your Bible and find with me Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 16. We are this month looking at a series of messages about the church. And so I appreciate Brother Drew preaching last week about the mission and purpose of the church. We'll continue that theme through the month of August. And so if you'll find with me your copy of God's Word, Matthew chapter 16. While you're finding it, let me just share a couple of things with you. First of all, the afternoon session for um, information about Israel trip, possibly in January, has been postponed. In Israel this week, a decision was made that the United States, along with many other countries, are hotspots for COVID variant. And so they determined to place restrictions on anyone coming from the United States to Israel which is a seven-day quarantine when you land. We are not going right away, all right? So that changes the trip. And when things get better and things are released, and then we'll go, we'll go. But Lord's willing, Lord's timing. You understand? So, all right, so I understand that. I have nothing to do with this. This is Israel. They get to do what they do, do all right? And so we're responding to that. Secondly, I wish you would pray for my dad. This is a very personal prayer request. My father tested positive for COVID and uh, has, is at home. And my mother is caring for him. Uh, yes, they were both vaccinated, and he has COVID. He's been sick for over a week and uh, is pretty sick at home. So I wish you would pray for them and... Um, um, be comforted to know that God's people are praying for them. Amen? Amen. He's in the Lord's hands. He's got him, but let's lift him before him. The 16th chapter of Matthew is a great story. One of the favorite places I love to go to in Israel is a place called Caesarea Philippi. And this happened in Matthew chapter 16. The word church it's only used by Jesus three times in the, in, the, in, the, in the Word, and one of those is found here in Matthew chapter 16. Now notice with me, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, but you... He asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Amen. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, 
Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave his disciples orders to tell no one that he was Messiah. Hmm. Look at this great passage of scripture today together with me. Jesus is taking his disciples to the north of Galilee to a place called Caesarea Philippi, named after one of the Caesars, Philippi, and it's the northern district of Galilee. It's up in its beautiful area. When you go there, it's absolutely beautiful. It's like rainforest up at the base of Mount Hermon. The tallest mountain in Israel is the snow-capped mountain of Mount Hermon. The water flows from that mountain, and it's making going into multiple streams. And out of the base of that cliff, uh, cliff rock that is there, at the base of it is a place called Banias, named by the Syrians and by some of the Jewish people of long ago. It's an ancient, ancient pagan worship site by Galileans and Syrians. There they worship the panoply of Greek and Roman gods. It's called Banias, but most scholars believe that the original name of the site was Panias, after Pan, the, of mythology. And there they would worship the idols, and carved into the niches at the base of that mountain are all of these worship sites where all the idolaters would make pilgrimage and worship at Pan and worship these gods there. They would bring their sacrifices. They would chant and use their many words, hoping to be heard by the gods. They're babbling before these gods. It's in this beautiful place at the headwaters of the Jordan River. It's near the ancient site of Dan. As a matter of fact, the word Jordan, Jordan, Jordan means beyond Dan. And so it's the, the headwaters from all of these streams coming from Mount Hermon that form the freshwater river that fills the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River. It's there in this beautiful, picturesque site where all of these pagans have come to worship their idols. But Jesus asked a question. Who do men say that I am? Well, that's an important question, isn't it? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist, come back from the dead. John the Baptist, Jesus preached like John the Baptist in many ways. He preached, repent, because the kingdom of God is here. Repent and turn from your sins and be baptized. Some say you're like Elijah. Elijah was the father of prophets. Elijah was a man of power and a a man of miracles. So was Jesus. And some said, you're like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet, a man of God. Jesus was filled with a heart of compassion for those who are lost. But those aren't satisfactory answers. And Jesus follows it with a second question. He says, but who do you say that I am? By the way, folks, if you don't hear any other question today, who do you say that Jesus is today? And Peter pipes up and says, you, you are the Christ, Amen. 
the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Wow. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God revealed this truth in an elective, loving work of God in Peter's heart and life. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father's who's in heaven. He didn't say, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You're smarter than the rest of these dudes. You figured it out. <laughs> blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because you're not as dull as the others. No. He didn't say, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because you're more insightful. He said, you are blessed by Almighty God because no man comes to know Jesus Christ without the elective work of the Spirit of God drawing that man to Jesus Christ. Amen. Your salvation is not because you're smart. Your salvation is a work of God's grace in your life. You couldn't find God on your own. You're blind. You're deaf. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're dead. Dead people can't make themselves alive. They need resurrection power to make you alive. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse number 25, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. This is a work of God in your life. He says to him, Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, your name, we call you Peter, that's your nickname, Peter, Petros, Rocky, Stony. They call you Stony, Rocky, Peter, because on this Petra, another word similar for a large ledge of a rock. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Not on you, Rocky, but on the rock, I will build my church. Not on Peter, but on Christ himself. And those who confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I will build my church. The word church means called out ones. My ecclesia, those that are called out, called from lostness to salvation, called from darkness to light, called from death to life. God's people called out to be his. My question to you is who owns the church? Who builds the church? Who grows the church? Today, the first point we want to look at is, first of all, who is the founder of the church? In this passage of Scripture, 
Jesus makes it very clear, I will build my church. Jesus Christ is the builder of the church. Jesus Christ is the owner of the church. And Jesus Christ is the architect of the church. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor, not the deacons, not a board, not even the congregation, nor a denomination. This church is headed by Jesus Christ, the author and the builder and the architect. There's only one. And the deed of the church is held by Jesus Christ because he bought it with his own blood. Can somebody say amen? And you must build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Yes, All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Hymn writer wrote this hymn. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought her. To be his holy bride, with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. The church is built on Jesus Christ alone. When you build your life on anything other, it is sinking and sifting and shifting sand. It's founded on Jesus and him alone. Jesus reminds us there are two different foundations. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. You see, it's built on Jesus Christ. He is the ground. Everything else is sinking sand. He said, you hear my words, you act on them. You obey them. Build your life on truth, on me, on my words. The foundation of the church. He is the founder. He is also the foundation. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verse 16. No, I'm sorry. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Look with me. To, I think it's on the screen. Therefore, the Lord God said, Look, I've laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and the one who believes will be unshakable. Wow. He is the firm foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, No one can lay any foundation other than what's been laid down, the foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 
says concerning the church, it's built on the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being put together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This, this, is, this is the church of Christ. He is the stone that the builders rejected, becomes the cornerstone. And this is what the Lord has done. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Matthew chapter 21. The church is built on Jesus. The church is built by Jesus. And the church is built for Jesus, not for you, for him and his glory. Can somebody say amen? Some of us, we get to thinking, well, it's my church. I think I need to have a say. It's not your church. It's his church. Amen. Can I tell you what? The church is not all about you. It's all about him. Amen. It's all about him. When you get on the wrong foundation, we're in trouble. When the foundation is wrong, you're in trouble. There are a lot of churches that have a steeple, but not a foundation. The foundation has to be on Jesus Christ and on the truth of his word, anchored to who Christ is and who the, what the gospel is. One of the most famous buildings in Europe is a tower that is built part of a, in a, as a part of a, a bell tower related to a cathedral in a city in Italy named Pisa. This tower of Pisa is now famously called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Why? Because it's leaning. You've seen pictures of it at more than four degrees of lean. Let me, a few facts about that structure. They started construction of that building tower in 1173. That's even older than me. 1173. It took 199 years to build. It was completed in 1372. It's 183 feet tall on the low side, 186 feet tall on the tall side. It weighs 14,500 metric tons. There's 296 steps up to the top of the tower. It started leaning in the 12th century. It was continuing to move ever so slightly, and in 1990, it had 5.5 degrees of lean. They did some remedial work that helped straighten it slightly and stabilize it. And the problem is, it was built on unstable subsoil, and it only has a three-meter foundation. It was flawed from the beginning because the foundation was flawed. I'm here to submit to you that the foundation of the true church of Jesus Christ is on bedrock that will not move. And the strength of a building is the foundation. 
And the church is built on gospel truth. It's built on Jesus Christ. And it's a sure foundation. And if a church is going to be healthy, now listen to me. It will not be built on fads. It will not be built on gimmicks. It won't be built on marketing. And it won't be built on methods. It is his church. And it will be built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. People have a lot of ideas what the church ought to be doing. And sometimes I get letters telling me what the church ought to be doing. <laughs> Years ago, I had someone write me a letter and says, I don't know what you're doing, but maybe it'd be better for you people not to meet on Sunday and just pick up trash in town. That'd be make, make a better difference in the world. I didn't take that advice. They went into a file drawer I have of certain letters I get. I got another letter telling us that we need to just, maybe we'd be better off as a church to quit singing and reading the Bible and go out and mow people's grass that couldn't afford to do it. I had somebody else send me a letter not too long ago that we need to get more political and speak up about all the issues and speak for certain candidates and speak on certain social issues. That we need to be more woke And I said, amen, we do. I want us to get woke. I want us to awake to Jesus Christ and his message. And I want us to awake to the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives. And I want to awake to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to awake to loving our neighbors, ourselves. And I want to awake to caring for people that are hurting. And I want to awake to sharing Jesus Christ with a lost world. Amen. God, make us woke in that way. I'm praying that our church would be more liberal. Liberal in loving, liberal in giving, and liberal in forgiving, and liberal in serving, and liberal in praise and worship to God, and liberal in encouraging one another, and liberal in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd like for us to be more conservative and hate sin. And love God and love people. I'm telling you the truth. I'm done with church and politics. I'm done with church and politics. I heard the president of the convention say, when the church gets in bed with a political party, the church ends up pregnant. And the offspring doesn't look like God. Number three, the people of the church. Verse number 18, who makes up the church? Who are the people of the church? And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He is building his church. He says, I say to you, you are Peter. And Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Who makes up the church? These are the people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. They are the people. They are the members of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter chapter number 3, in verse number 9, Listen to the scripture. For we are God's co-worker, you are God's field, God's building. That's who you are. Verse 16. 
Don't you yourselves know that you're God's temple if the Spirit of God lives in you? Folks, listen to me. These are analogies. They're pictures of our relationship to Jesus Christ and his church, what it consists of, what it's made of. And he says the first analogy is you're God's building and that you are coming to Christ and he's transforming you, as Peter says, into living stones and you're built into a living temple and you're a building of God and you're not made by hands but the work of the Holy Spirit in you and you are a building and we are a building and Jesus Christ is building us into his building for his glory. Not only are you a building, the second analogy is similar. You are being built into a temple. You are a place of worship where the Spirit of God dwells among God's people. And by the way, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. The people that have been saved. The people that are His. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit working us. We are His temple and we're coming to Him and we're being transformed by Him. And He's placed us in His temple, all of us, to bring praise and glory and honor to God. It's a living, personal, vital relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. That's the church. In 1 Peter, are you all awake today? 1 Peter, chapter number 2. 1 Peter, chapter number 2, in verse number 4. 1 Peter, chapter 2, in verse number 4. Notice with me in God's word, Peter, by the way, don't you think that if anybody ought to remember this conversation in Matthew 16, it would be Peter, the one who said, Rocky, upon this rock, I will build my church. So listen to his commentary, Rocky, on this. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him or coming to him as a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourself as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored and cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Amen. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving... The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. And they were destined for this. But not you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, own possession, that you may proclaim the praises, the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who you are. 
You're the people of God, a temple of God, built by God. Now, another analogy, there's several of them today, is you're the bride of Christ. Woo! He married you. Now, some of you are getting weirded out, dudes. Stay with me. You are the people of God. You're a, you are precious to him. Isn't that an amazing thought? You are amazing, uh, precious. I don't have time to read all of the scriptures. You can look these up that are in the outline. But I do want to read this one. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 5. Isaiah 26, 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. <laughs> Don't you love that? I love it that the God of heaven is singing and rejoicing over his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. You see, he saw you when you're dead in your sin, and he saw you, and he revealed himself to you, and he drew you, and he wooed you, and he opened your eyes, and you put your faith in Christ, and you repented of your sin, and he washed you clean, and he gave you the Holy Spirit, and he made you a part of his own family, and he married you, and you are precious to him. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. And he rejoices over you. He sings over you. He loves you. Isn't that awesome? Not everybody rejoices over their bride. Chuck Swindell told a story years ago about a wedding, and in this wedding walks down a bride, and there's the groom waiting for the bride, and when she walks down the aisle, she looks like she's, her dress is tattered and torn, and Disheveled, and when they rolled back the veil, she had two teeth missing and two black eyes. He said it was a battling bride. That's not the kind of church we want to be. <laughs> Years ago, i got to be careful, but this was a long time ago. <laughs> not in this location long ago. I had a wedding, and... Unbeknownst to me, the dudes, the groomsmen and the groom were out in the parking lot and they were drinking whiskey out of the back of the car before the service. And they were loaded up, high as a kite. I had no idea. I was just a young pastor at the time. And the best man in the wedding was the groom's brother. And they got in a fight out in the parking lot of the church before the wedding, just before the wedding. And the groom knocked his brother out, and they had to call an ambulance to come and get him. And they came inside, and the bride had been out there trying to break the brothers up, and she had blood on her dress. And the father, who was drunk, stood up as the best man. And I said, Lord... <clears throat> I haven't been doing this very long, but I don't think this is normal. <laughs> it ended in divorce. 
seems tragic from the beginning. You're the church of Jesus Christ. You're the bride of Christ. He has lavished his love on you. Why would you live like the world? Why would you live hatefully? Why would you want to be like that? You're precious to him. Christ loved you. Christ died for you. Christ washed you. Christ protects you. Christ leads you. Christ loved you. In Ephesians, Paul says that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. He lays down his life for his church. He loves his church. He washes his church. He protects his church. He cares for his church. He leads his church. And what's the bride's response? She is to surrender and submit and yield to herself. She's to honor and to respect And she's willing to be led. And she serves the Lord Jesus because she is married. So we serve in in a home and in a marriage. I think one of the great tragedies is we don't understand the importance of marriage. Your marriage ought to look like Christ's love for his church. And when we hate on each other, speak evil each other, divorce and live with people, that is sin. It's a dishonoring to God. And you're precious to Him. You are His body. You are the body of Christ. This is another analogy. The body of Christ. In the book of Colossians, chapter number 1, verse 18, Colossians chapter 1, in verse number 18. Listen to the scripture, listen to what Paul has to say about this important analogy that he often is favorite of Paul's. He says, he is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come first place, preeminence in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness to dwell in him. You are in the body of Jesus Christ, and the head of the body is Jesus. This analogy now is of body, and we are members of the body, but the head of the body is Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4, Ephesians, chapter number 4, listen to the scripture, Ephesians 4, verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way unto him who is the head, Christ. Who's the head of the church? Christ. For him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Christ is the head. And you are the body parts, the members. Can I just show you all a miracle? Would you all just put your hand out like that? Okay, just like that. Okay, great. Now, I want you to take your pointer finger 
and I just, if you have one, and wiggle it, okay? Would you just wiggle it like that? All right, that is a miracle. You say, what do you mean? How did you get that finger to move? How did you get that? To, it's a magic. No, my brain, somehow in my brain, I told that finger to wiggle, and it did it. <laughs> Call me simple if you want, but that is a miracle, man. <laughs> and when I have an itch, it knows where to find it, and it scratches it. This is just way cool, God. I remember, I know you think I've lost my mind. My grandmother was in a nursing home, and I went to see her one day, and she sat there, wrinkled hands, spots on her skin, bruises, and she was just rubbing her hand like this. And I said, Grandma, what do you do? And she said, I'm just meditating. I said, what about? She said, and these old wrinkled hands have served me so well all these 90 years. You are part of the body of Christ. You know, there's something not right when members go to war against other members. Amen. You know, when your fist gets mad at your nose, it's not a good thing. <laughs> we are the body of Christ. And we're not to wage war in our members because we submit ourselves to the head who's Christ Jesus himself. It's not about you, it's all about him. Amen? Amen. Part of the problem with autoimmune diseases is, is when our body gets sick and we're at war within ourselves. Cells that begin to rebel and, and get messed up and go at war within our own body become, what do we call them? Cancer cells. It shows unhealth. But we are members of the body of Christ, right, relating to the head. And when we abide in Christ and he abides in us and his words in us and we're connected and we're in union and we're intimately walking with intimacy, walking with him, then the body functions for the glory of God and the purpose of Christ in this world. Another analogy is you are the flock of God. A flock like a flock of sheep. And here's the awesome thing. He sought you when you were lost. He bought you. He brought you to himself. He's protecting you like a shepherd. He knows you by name. He speaks and you hear his voice. He's a shepherd. He's shepherding us. He is the shepherd of our souls. He is our great high 
priest. He is our shepherd. And those who lead in the church are called under-shepherds. And so Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. But you will give an account to God, the chief shepherd, to Christ, because it's his flock. It's not the under-shepherds, it's his. We need to love the sheep. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for the Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. We're his family. We are not only a flock, but he says that we are a family. And John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We, we are part of the family of God. Notice he says, oh, let me finish that, that thought in first John, I mean John chapter 1, verse 13, who were born, his children, listen now they were born, not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. You were born again by God's sovereign choice. Not you. It's all about him. And if he so loved you, and he so bought you, and he adopted you, Romans chapter 8, you've been adopted into his family. You've received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. Amen. We'll have to finish this sermon in another next Sunday. Yes, I am preaching again all month long. We'll pick up here next Sunday. This week I had the opportunity to meet a pastor. His name's Pastor Peter P- Leong, and Peter Leong is a Chinese pastor. He told a story of his salvation. He's 75 years young. He is the head of the Chinese Baptist Fellowship in the United States and Canada. And his story is so inspirational to me. He said, I grew up in Malaysia Malaysia, in a Chinese family. And he said, my parents are Muslim. And praise team, you guys can come on up while I finish this story. Stay with me. And he says, he grew up in this Muslim family, and he said he was 14 years old, and a friend who was a part of a Baptist fellowship shared the gospel with him, and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. Pastor Peter says, I was 14 years old, and I went home, and I told my dad and my mom, I said, Mom and Dad, A Muslim mom and dad, I have found Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. I've given my life to him, and I am now a Christian. His father flew into a rage, and his mother and the rest of his siblings turned on him, and his father said, you're no longer a son to me. Unless you renounce Christ now, you will never come back into the door of our house again. 
You will never have contact with me again or this family. And at 14 years old, he said, I cannot deny him. He wandered four days in the street with nowhere to sleep, nothing to eat. He went to the church and he told that little Baptist pastor, a little Chinese church, he said, I've been on the street for four days. I have nothing to eat. I have nowhere to sleep. And the pastor welcomed him into the church to stay in the church. And he says, and my heart was broken and I opened my Bible. I was praying. And the Lord led me to a passage of scripture in Acts. Chapter 16. Where the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And the disciples responded, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved and your household. And he said, it was like God said to me, you believe me and I'll not only save you, I'll save your house. He said, I claim that promise is true. And he said, I prayed every day for my family but could not see them. But one year later, his brother found Peter. And he said, Peter, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ too. And God has saved me. He revealed himself to me. And I've given my life to him. And I'm so excited. <laughs> Five years later, five years later, he said, my sister made contact with me and said, Mom and I need to come see you. And he said, okay. When they came to see him, they said, we're so excited. He said, why? Because, Peter, we are now followers of Jesus Christ. And they were gloriously saved. He said, I kept praying. Stay with me. Twenty years later, his father came to see him. And he said, Peter, I am now a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. God has saved me. Peter, why didn't you tell me how glorious this is? He said, you kicked me out of the house. I couldn't tell you. And he said, to date, 75 members of my family have come to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of the life. And he said, I didn't do it. God did. Christ is building his church, and we are part of it. To God be the glory. Amen. Father in heaven, have our way in our hearts, in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me as we sing.